Welcome to Rocketship, the home of epic React Native content. I'm Simon Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and today's guest is a special guest because he is already here for the second time. Thank you for joining me again, Aaron Bereskin. Hey, nice to meet you. How's so, it going, guys? Uh, it's great. It's great to have you back. Uh, Aaron is like my unofficial sidekick, I think, at this point. Maybe you're going to become like my co-host in the future. I don't know. Oh, that would be nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for everyone who has not listened, make sure to check out episode five of Rocket Ship, uh, where Aaron joined me to talk about building apps for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Aaron is a senior React Native developer working for STRV, and he has also or is doing also some freelancing work on the site at this point. So if you're looking for somebody great, I can highly recommend Aaron. That was a great intro. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> great. So today's episode is going to be about the state of React Native Survey. Um, I actually did a video about this as well with my little commentary on it. But I wanted to bring in Aaron because Aaron is um, a senior React Native developer in an actual company and not just a content creator like myself who's doing some drama on YouTube. So <laughs> uh, we're going to get some actual real insights into the survey. This survey was done, I think, the third time this year. Uh, and this year we had about 2,400 respondents in that survey. I think it was second time. Like last year second? was the first time, yeah. Oh, then my video is wrong as well. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I think I read somewhere that it was the third time. Anyway. Maybe um, somewhere in the past. <laughs> They're like, uh, so for everyone who wants to follow along, you're probably listening at this point. If you're watching the YouTube video, you can also, of course, open the page of the State of React Native survey and watch all those graphs. There are about 17 or 18 categories. So Aaron and I will do a little speed run of all these categories. We're going to um, mention the most important aspects of some categories. We already did uh, <laughs> a little check up front. So I said, oh, I think these are the most important categories. And then Aaron said, okay, yeah, I like these most. <laughs> so <laughs> there was no overlap between them. So we will uh, cover everything. <laughs> exactly. We will cover everything. Uh, do we want to get started with the about you category? Do you, do you, do you have any uh, a special commentary on the about you category? Oh, the about you category, you know, like I was looking at the age and 57% is 25 to 34. So this is the last year, actually, I belong to that category because next year I will be 35. Come uh, on. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I will turn 35 in November. I, I, I was For a moment, I was happy to be in that main group. And then I remembered... Oh shit, I'm getting exactly. old. <laughs> we are on the same boat, Simon. Come on, what's going on? <laughs> I found it quite interesting, um, to be honest, uh, in terms of the company sizes, people submitted um, mm -hmm. their feedback because it shows that basically React Native is used in all company sizes from, all from companies. Totally. just like one person to a thousand or more employees. That is crazy. 10%. I mean, that's Shopify, Microsoft, Meta. <laughs> there, there are plenty more, probably. Yeah, probably all of them uh, left some, some reviews. Uh, beyond that, I think the only thing I wanted to point out was what I found interesting is that um, the average years of experience in React Native was two or three years. So mm. it feels like for everyone who's now getting into React Native, they are still kind of early. Like you don't have a big disadvantage if you now get into React Native. Yeah, I would say so. And it's evolu like the evolution has been like quite rapid, I would say, in the last two, three years with Expo Config plugins, EAS, and um, basically the new architecture. So there's never late, basically, in development to jump in and start your career, you know? Exactly. Uh, I think there will just be more React Native jobs over the next time, although Flutter being popular, uh, I don't <laughs> think there are just as much Flutter jobs. Do you have anything else about this category to point out? Um, to be honest, I guess we have to mention your gender. So we have like 3% of the respondents are women. Uh, so obviously the industry obviously has to do a bit more, you know, like to, for equal opportunities so that <laughs> this percentage kind of changes a bit, uh, higher. Uh, but I can attest, you know, at STRV, there is one lady among 25 front end engineers. So it's quite representative, I would say. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a problem. It has been always a problem and continues to be a problem. So let's let's all try to be more inclusive. Um, I actually try. I'm, I had great recordings, actually, on the podcast with, for example, Katie Kremen from Expo. Mm -hmm. um, and we had Hosna in the very first episode. So I definitely want to bring on more over the next time. Do you want to continue with the next section, the developer background of the participants? Yeah, let's go there. But there's right. nothing surprising here, right? <laughs> <laughs> like most of us started as a front-end or a React developer, which the survey says. So 61% said that they were a React developer, 44% were a front-end developer, meaning something other than React. And then, yeah, like 38% back-end developer. That's quite kind of interesting, no? Yeah, it is. I mean, I found it interesting that... The combined of started with React Native, Android, and iOS made up almost the same percentage as front end. So it shows like you can come in basically from every angle into React Native. Uh, it doesn't really matter. To be honest, I let me think. Did I learn React before? I, I kind of learned it almost at the same time, um, which I think is definitely possible. So you can get started with React Native, although you don't even know React. You know what will be interesting next year, like looking at this survey? How will change this Android and iOS developer number if maybe more Android and iOS developers are like changing their career <laughs> to React Native developers? Because that will mean that we are doing something right, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that would definitely be an interest. I think, yeah, next year the, the survey and the trends is highly interesting. Um, I also found it interesting that a lot of the time on Twitter, if you're living in this bubble, you hear people talking about Expo Web, React Native Web, and uh, doing universal apps. But then you look at like a survey and you see that, I don't know, what is the percentage? Uh, like 95 plus percent of people are doing Android and iOS, but just 23% are actually interested in web. And Mac OS <laughs> is just 5% and Windows 3%. So yeah, web is somewhat important, but it's not that important, I guess. Mm -hmm. And from this, like if we go to the open source contribution section, uh, that I found very interesting. So one third of respondents said that they contributed to open source uh, React Native libraries. One third. That's quite I, interesting. I, I feel like this is something unique in the React Native ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I, I have like I've come from Angular, and yes, of course, people are contributing a lot to Angular and libraries as well. But I feel like in the React Native world. Every big company is doing it. Like we got Facebook, uh, like Meta and Microsoft, but we also got uh, Software Mention and uh, STRV and uh, like all these companies are contributing. Infinite Red is doing it as well. It's it's so crazy to see pretty much every company somehow e contributing to React Native. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Like imagine how many engineers, you know, uh, will go through software mention and touch all the libraries uh, they actually maintain. But in general, I would say also like working for an agency, I built many applications. I also see many applications being built and they all use the same libraries, you know, <laughs> like it's actually like from one project to another, there is React Native just to handle reanimated, you know, React Navigation, React Native Pager View. There are so many like repeating libraries. So actually we become proficient in those libraries and it's easier to actually contribute to the open source as a like general React Native developer. Even if you are a hobby developer, you probably find a way how to contribute somehow. So it's really nice about the ecosystem. But maybe yeah. there is also, sorry, a slight bias here because probably the people that fill the <laughs> survey are the super passionate React Native developers like we are, right? So we do yes. like to contribute. Yeah, there's definitely a bias towards these. Um, but as you mentioned, there are a handful of essential React Native libraries, as you said, React Native, Reanimated, Gesture Handler, and so. So it's it's probably also easier to see, okay, I could probably contribute to one of these. That totally makes sense. I'm using them. I encounter a problem and I contribute. And they're not like thousands <laughs> of libraries. I mean, there are thousands of libraries, but many of them are outdated, I guess. Yeah. Um, do you want to continue with the next uh, section, platform APIs? Platform APIs. Yeah, maybe just one last thing in the developer background. Yes. So what mobile OS versions do you target? So the majority of the respondents, 57% said uh, reasonably current, which is iOS 15 plus and Android 12 plus. So 
but there are still 4.8 people <laughs> that have to support iOS 8 plus and Android 5 plus. So good luck to those guys. Um, obviously not an easy job, I would say. Yeah, I feel really sorry for you. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. Platform APIs. What, um, what do you I, say? Man? I, I honestly, okay, so this uh, chart describes the platform APIs usage. There are, uh, in the first place, we got camera, and then in the second place, permissions, notifications, deep links. To be honest, I can't really make a lot of sense out of this graph. It shows me that people are using native platform APIs, and that's cool, but I don't see anything beyond that. Yeah, I mean, that's like what you usually use on a project. So most most of the projects will use some permission notifications, deep links, WebView 60%. So I don't really <laughs> enjoy working with WebViews, but good that we have them, I guess, for some for some functionality. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I also don't see much in this particular graph. Yeah, the, the only thing I think someone pointed out on Twitter is... Uh, and it's interesting this camera is above permissions, although you actually need permissions to use the camera. So it should be the other way yeah. around. <laughs> good, good one. Okay, let, let's continue to the next section because that's going to be more interesting for people. So the next one is state management. Mm. Um, I Okay, so state management in terms of the ranking, this is now getting a bit more complicated as usually these graphs have like four dimensions. There's retention, interest, usage, and awareness. I think... I. In most cases, I will skip over awareness and more talk about uh, probably usage and interest and, and maybe sometimes a bit about retention. Uh, Aaron and I will try to uh, verbalize this as good as possible when we talk about the rankings. Okay. Yeah, I think you have a good point because retention is the default. And I think many people will look at this chart and they will say, oh, like mm -hmm. the usage is probably 97% for the first thing, but it's retention, guys. So retention is something... Uh, what someone used before, but will, will, would like to use it basically in the future as well. Uh, so maybe usage is the more kind of reality check uh, for this particular questions. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to, to wrap it up for retention, I can only say that Redux is the only thing that's <laughs> really going out of fashion. Redux is dropping from 57 to 44% <laughs> in uh, retention. However, it's a different picture if you look at the usage because... <laughs> Redux is used in many projects. It's in the second place after React hooks and state uh, with 78%. And also there's uh, a new way, which I haven't used, the Redux toolkit. Have you used it? I did actually use it on one of yeah, one, my first React Native project. And it's definitely upgrade to the API. Uh, but still, if you should choose Redux or React Query, like my favorite would be React Query. Okay. You, you mean what is now called 10-step query? 10-stack query, yeah. That, that will take lots of time to get used to. Even <laughs> even in the survey, they have 10-stack queries, basically, parentheses, React query. Exactly. Yeah, also, these, these graphs, it's so easy to be misguided. So my favorite state management library is uh, Zustand or Zustand, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And if you look at the picture, it looks like Zustand is dropping. But the number is actually going up. It's just uh -huh. dropping because like there are other lines a bit higher. So it's going from 22% usage to 37, which is a big increase in, in usage of Zustan. Yeah. Um, I think it's taking over the React Native world regarding the state management. It's my favorite state management library as well. I mentioned React Query, but I use it more for data fetching. I just was pointing out that Redux was used for data fetching as well. You fetch the data and put it in Redux, you know, the, the old mm -hmm. way. Um, but Zustand, yeah, it's very simple API, many, you know, great maintainers, I would say, of the library. There was a, there is also a Flipper plugin, even though Flipper is mm -hmm. going slightly away. Uh, and it works so great with MMKV, like for persistence. Yes. So only good things to say about Zustand, yeah. Exactly, yeah. This is definitely my Clio winner. And if you scroll down further that page, there's a sentiment split, which mm -hmm. I think kind of describes um, yeah, positive versus negative arguments. Would I use this again or do I not like it? So um, Redux got a lot of uh, a lot of a big bar on the on the negative split, I would say, both for Redux, a kind bit of uh, also for Redux Toolkit. I haven't used Redux Toolkit. Is it like easier to use? Could you like give us the short version of what's the improvement? Yeah, for Redux Toolkit, like you write less boilerplate. Normally with Redux, you write your actions, your reducers, 
you know, then you have your store, some initial state. So in the Redux toolkit, it has really nice kind of API that simplifies it and like um, like dispatching some like kind of action Redux toolkit or reducer or selecting the state. It's pretty straightforward, I would say. Good, good to know. But uh, I can imagine, sir, that basically, even though people used it, they would still be unsatisfied because it's still kind of boilerplate. -y. You still mm. need kind of a provider. Like with Zustand, you don't need to wrap the whole application in certain provider. You can access uh, the state within React. It's reactive or even outside of the of React, uh, and it works great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you like to continue with data fetching or any uh, uh, additions to state management? Yeah, just last point is overall happiness. So we have 52% happy and 24.7% very happy. So I would say, and 16.9% neutral. So unhappy people, it's only 6.5% <laughs> with the state management, which just says like, I think we are good in a good spot with state management in React and React Native in general. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a great conclusion for, for the whole state management category. Although, uh, as we now continue with the next one, which is data fetching, uh, we actually have one uh, library appear again, which is 10-stack query. And definitely mm -hmm. for me, 10-stack query or React query is, um, yeah, one of the the best ways to handle your, what is it called, like server state in your client application? Yeah, basically. Or like, like your... Your fetching state, I don't know how to call yeah. it. <laughs> like <laughs> the whole caching, invalidation, uh, retry, everything can be done with 10-stack. And the usage is on the climb. The thing that I found interesting here in the data fetching is that um, if you look at the interest category, there's a clear winner, which is TRPC. Mm, so I, I heard a lot about TRPC. It's like uh, remote procedures being called. You can have... Um, TypeScript interfaces and everything type safe. Uh, however, everyone seems to be interested in TRPC, yet the usage is about 13%. It's the second lowest. I know. I haven't used it myself, but I know it's a great technology. But also, it was on your podcast, I would say, I don't know if Theo said that, mm. that basically React server components deal with many things which are like TRPC, for which TRPC is good. Uh, so let's see if in the future, actually, there is like big place for it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I think I also only used it slightly and now it's included in Theo's, uh, T3 stack and, uh, T3 turbo, I think for react native, which includes the expo project. So yeah, um, uh, no big surprises beyond that in the terms of the sentiment split also, yeah, people seem to be in general very happy about this stuff as well. Here's the same, it's just combined 4.5% of people that are unhappy and the rest <laughs> is neutral or very happy. And I, I, I kind of agree, like uh, 10 stack is great. Um, yeah, if you just use Axios or Fetch, it's also okay, it just works. Uh, I, I don't see big problems with this uh, whole data fetching category. Yeah, and because look at the libraries, like everything is coming from the React board, from the web board. So it was all figured out, you know, already, not only in React Native, but also in the React web. And maybe just one lucky thing we have, like if you are choosing Fetch API or Axios for the web, you probably will choose Fetch or maybe KY. And the reason is because let's say it has bit less kilobytes, you know, and on the web, you deal with the bundle a bit more than in React Native, you don't care that much. <laughs> so we are quite lucky we can just use freely Axios because I really like the interceptors APIs because you can easily like attach the access token or deal with the global errors. Um, so good that in React Native, we don't have to deal with <laughs> having 20 kilobyte library versus 10 kilobyte library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't worry about that in React Native yet as well. So that brings us to a somewhat bigger category, which is navigation. Um, I think navigation is interesting because I, I'm I'm kind of biased here. I'm like 
Uh, I want to just say this up front. I'm a big, <laughs> big fan of Expo Router. When I got started, Expo Router was trending and I just decided, well, Simon, let's just go with Expo Router. Uh, so I kind of neglected React Navigation and been a big fan of Expo Router. And <laughs> this is, again, uh, one of these cases where usage and interest is probably different. So people are really, really interested in Expo Router. It's at the top of the interest rating. However, in the usage, React Navigation is still in the first place, but... Expo Router is shooting up. It's going from 12% to 40%. Uh, so I assume next year we're going to have Expo Router at at least 60% usage plus. Yeah, I would agree. Like, it's definitely catching up. But at some point, let's see, like, if it kind of plateaus. Because like, the thing is, like, from my experience, like, building production applications and some bigger, some smaller, like, the navigation is such a core part of the application, you know? And that's the one thing that you probably wouldn't like to refactor, you know? Because <laughs> it's just everywhere, you know, in your application. Yeah. And if you put there some models, you know, if you have some params that are jumping from one thing to another, like, there's actually nothing wrong with React Navigation. So <laughs> what would be your incentive to actually refactor some production application to Expo Router? Like Expo Router is an evolution. It definitely has some amazing features that React Navigation will not have. But for bigger, you know, like applications, it will take a bit more time before we actually like, let's say, transition to Expo Router. So I would see like the Greenfield projects, which can decide if to use React Navigation or Expo Router, will definitely maybe try Expo Router and see if they like it. But for the ones that are already like in the stores, it will take some time. Yeah, for everyone uh, looking for reasons to migrate to Expo Router, just, just talk to Evan Bacon and you're going to get a massive amount of reviews. Uh, <laughs> Actually, to... I was listening to the podcast with Evan Bacon, which just was released today, I guess. Yes. Uh, and it was very interesting. I think he managed to interview him well, so he even <laughs> spilled some beans uh, what is coming in the V4 and where Expo is kind of heading with some web framework? Did I understand it well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked a bit about this. So this is really going to be interesting. Uh, maybe we actually don't see Expo Router in this chart next year because Evan said once Expo Router hits version 4, they want to rename it and rebrand it. So it becomes like, I, I internally said, I will, you would call it Evan, <laughs> Evan Router, like 10 stake with so 10. Um, it's probably not going to be called like that. And then it will be split from Expo. So yeah. It's definitely interesting as well. At the same time, you can argue that on the podcast with Theo, he explained that he's not a huge fan of this concept as web and native. Yes, they share similarities, but native is always different. You have these modal overlays and then the stack navigation and whatnot that you just don't have on the web. So yeah, it, I do it, agree, it's, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sometimes good to have like a special navigation for, for native, I guess. Um, do you have anything else to say about the other elements in this category about like Solito or the navigation router? I do not. I actually, who is using React Router for React Native? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit puzzled here, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably shouldn't do. Uh, uh, anyway, the the happiness here is also again it's it's like a continuing theme. React Native developers are like among the most happiest people on the planet. I guess <laughs> that totally reflects our community. You know, like we are we are happy from everything basically React Native related. Okay, let, let's go to a category that's maybe a bit more painful, uh, which is styling. It, wow. It, yeah, it's it's a great category. So there are like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I don't know, 15 uh, styling libraries that you can use, which is in itself good. But I'm a big fan of just having one or two options so I can decide like today I wear the white t-shirt or the black t-shirt. Uh, that makes my life a lot easier. And this is not making my life easier if I have to select one of these 50 libraries. And it's quite crazy because last year there are only seven options, but this year it's almost double double. I mean, I don't think many libraries are new. They just maybe were not participating in the survey somehow. Uh, and again, the retention kind of like, if you didn't un understand that you are at the retention tab, 
91% is React Native Unistyles. <laughs> is that the usage? What is the usage of React Native Unistyles? Like it's a great evolution, but it will take some time. So it's at 4%. Uh, Jacek is doing a great job, uh, definitely revamping the Starsheet API. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Jacek was on the podcast and I did a tutorial with it as well. But in terms of usage, 91% is Stylesheet API and 85% is inline styling. So for everyone who's using React Native, just with the core technologies, you're doing great. It's like everyone's using it like this. Let me put you on the spot. What is your favorite styling solution? <laughs> Okay, this is this is interesting. Um, so I tried Tamagui because it's like all the hype and uh, I had Nate here on the podcast. Tamagui is great, although the documentation is awful and he knows about this as well. Um, I like Stylesheet API as well, to be honest. And I do like native wind. So for nice. me, the question is like, where is this heading in the future? Um, and I... I don't know exactly where. So I don't know if Unistyles can take off and like cover what Stylesheet API is doing. I don't know if people can accept Unistyles or if they feel like this is too much of an of an indie project and it's too small. And I think there's going to be like a like a little battle between Native Wind and Tamagui. I I kind of feel like I'm ignoring the rest of these. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in a similar category. I, I'm looking at. Tamagui and Native Wind, basically to cover the like future universal apps we will have built with React Native. But for me, if I build just React Native application, my favorite is Restyle because it's simple. And you know why? What what I like about Restyle and why I'm so productive because I don't have to think about naming stuff. You know, like Stylesheet APIs, Salt components. And even React Native Unistyles, you still have to assign some name to the object, you know. And I think that kind of slows you down sometimes in the flow. With Restyle, I just set up like text variants, spacing, colors, and then I have box and text, and it's just like building Lego blocks together, you know. So that's something what I like personally. But once I will be building a universal application, Tamagui or Native Win will be my choice. <laughs> then just decide which one, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tamagui native wind certainly shine. I think when you use them in universal apps and you have a have a web output as well. I don't know how well this is going to be combined with Expo Router and Web and what Evan said and how they're going to split up things. Um, he actually it was like a like a thing he he didn't really want to talk about like writing mm -hmm. like div and h1 for the web and then also for native and it sounded like they are working on something behind the scenes that is going to almost revolution this, like, like yeah. bring us a new kind of syntax. I have no idea what is going on, but yeah, um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I must out myself. I haven't used Restyle. Uh, now, after you, you promoting it, I will certainly take a closer look at it. The interest in Restyle is still, it's actually still growing. This is interesting. It's, it's not a new library, right? It has been around for some time. Yeah, it's from Shopify. It has been for some time. Actually, I got to know it from William Candelion because he was doing uh, this YouTube series when I was learning React Native. He was just taking some Figma designs and basically coding it in React Native. And before he joined Skia and Shopify, by the way, he was using their library style and it was quite interesting. And, you know, it's very TypeScript constrained theme. So it doesn't have like many options for you to choose from, which is nice because then your UI is very consistent uh, and it's quite simple because with Tamagui, you can do something similar. They have like similar, like, like let's say text component or view component, and you can pass the props in line, but Tamagui or, or at least the default theme, it has so many options. It's just mm -hmm. a bit, bit too overwhelming for me. So I have to just kind of understand how can I overwrite this theme? I know they, they are doing lots of work on the configs and building themes. So eventually I want to try it as well with Tamagui. Yeah, we, we will see. This is definitely an interesting category you see from, from Aaron and me debating about it. Um, <laughs> there's potential and, and like a lot of interesting thing. We're going to probably cover this again once we get to a conclusion in the end. Just wrapping up the, the styling with the sentiment split. So... I think we can only say that please just don't use styled components anymore. Nobody likes them. <laughs> they are kind of, you know, like um, those people that came from the web, styled components always worked. They were always like 
reasonable choice and therefore they probably transition to react native as well so like it's something people are used to and maybe that's why they are still choosing it uh but for me it would be again the same problem i i have to name basically every component <laughs> every style component i create which is a bit annoying for me All right. Um, I feel like the next category is kind of connected to this as it's UI component library. So previously we talked about styling. Um, the next category is UI component libraries, which covers a few of the same. For example, Tamagui is very high in interest, but also Gluestack UI, which is, I think, the successor of native base. Um, yeah. However, again, if you filter correctly and check out the usage, you're going to see that stuff like React Native Paper is currently in the front row and React Native Elements and still native base. <laughs> so these are things people used in the past. And of course, they're not ripping this out of the project. Uh, Whereas actually, uh, you, your restyle does not belong into UI components. It's just a styling, it's just styling libraries, not UI kind of a library. Ah, okay, yeah. So... <sighs> What can we say about this category? Well, people are really interested in Tamagui and Gluestack, mm. of course, but I feel like, and I think Theo also said this, that component libraries are kind of kind of out of fashion. Everyone wants to build custom solutions on the web. You got like ShedCN where you can copy your own files into your project and then have these components with React and probably the same is happening for React Native. I definitely agree with him. That's when I was listening to the podcast, I, I was nodding because... I felt like in React Native, there are not that many components that I haven't built myself and I would need a library for that, you know? So maybe, maybe if I don't really care about the design, you know, and I just need to build something quickly, I will choose a library. But still, every UI library has the problem. You have to kind of learn how it works. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit, you know, tricky. And I'm the guy who watches releases of my favorite libraries. And I watch Tamagui releases and like Nate is a genius, you know, he's super productive, goat, but come on, like I get a bit of anxiety because there are so many new Tamagui releases changing the basically UI elements on the, on the go, you know, like I understand it's hard for native and web to have uh, elements basically working seamlessly. Um, but yeah, like if someone used Tamagui one year ago, Uh, this year, it will be probably quite different, <laughs> I would say, the application, yeah. Yeah, from from what I heard, Nate is really, so Nate, the creator of Tamagui, is really a genius when it comes to a lot of things. Also, how he figured out Tama, uh, Takeout and set everything up and how the compiler works behind the scenes. That's actually, like, a lot bigger than all the components of Tamagui. Um, but, yeah. In terms of the this chart, it's definitely, it feels like Tamagui is very dynamic still, so it's going to be interesting what happens. Beyond that, I just like, I wouldn't recommend Re React Native Paper or Elements and Native Base at this point anymore. I agree with you. In the past, I always enjoyed, you know, I come from the Ionic background and they had like tons of great components. And I always loved that there was like a card, but, uh, and a few other as well. So I really wish there were good libraries which offered this, but I never found a really good card, to be honest. And I mean, the card co-pilot can almost instantly give me like elevation two, drop shadow this, and then you're going to have a great card without using one of these uh, element libraries. Exactly. If if you want to choose your library, choose one and just stick to it, you know, like use it for the projects where you need to build some stuff quickly, side projects, hobby projects, or if you have a client that doesn't care much about how things look then the UI library is good for that. Uh, but don't switch the UI libraries because you will be a bit overwhelmed and things act a bit differently at each one of them. Yes. All right. Uh, should we continue with the next one? Let's do it, yeah. All right, graphics and animations. I will always instantly go to the usage tab to see <laughs> reanimated uh, dominates that, but it's closely followed by the animated API. To be honest, I, I kind of also, because I can't learn everything at once, I defaulted to just picking React Native reanimated and felt good about it. But it seems like the animated API is also still a, a solid pick. I would say just people picked it because <laughs> it has been always around and some of them are used to it. Uh, React Native reanimated, it's a great library, but it's a dependency. So it can kind of like sometimes break your project. Like if there is some inconsistency, it doesn't happen that often, like in the past, I would say. 
uh, but it's still a dependency. While the un animated API, if you are familiar with that and you just need some simple animation, it's good enough. But yeah, reanimated would be always my default. So in terms of the interest, reanimated is also on top. Uh, and then the second place is React Native Skia. And actually in the third place of interest is uh, something called Reef or Rive. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I think Theo talked about this. I thought this was related to Flutter. Do you have any more information about this library? Because I personally haven't used it. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's related to Flutter. It's basically Lottie replacement. So basically we have Lottie from Airbnb, which mm -hmm. is basically... A JSON file that you can like uh, with some config and it plays an animation if you use the Lottie library in the React Native. Um, and Rive, I would say, or Reef, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> they do something similar. Uh, what I read, their files are a bit smaller than Lottie, so maybe it's a bit more performant. And also you can a bit more customize the animations. How, how to call it? Like you have some animation and maybe you could easily like change maybe some scaling or some colors. I don't know what, I haven't used it, but I was just looking at it and maybe you would like to try it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like one of these things you definitely want to try. It looks like you can build games with it, but I mean, it runs pretty much everywhere. Flutter, React, React Native, Rust, C++, uh, Unity, Unreal, Framer. So it's more like a general thing that seems to just work with React Native as well. Um, yeah, you, you said that Lottie is also still very high in the usage tab. Um, I actually don't think there will be a lot of movement. I mean, there are a handful of other libraries, but I think the, the biggest one we mentioned will probably be still used next year. Or do you think anything disruptive will happen in this category? Mm, nothing disruptive, but we will see React Native Skia growing in the usage. So last year it was 16%. This year it's 27%. And probably it's going to just grow uh, as it becomes um, like more, I would say, developer friendly. Many more tutorials will come out so that people understand what they can actually use it for. Because that's probably the problem of us React Native developers. Maybe we have just like ways how to animate things and we just know uh, certain traditional animations. But with React Native Skia, you can, you have to be a bit more creative, I would say, to understand how can you use how can you use such powerful library? Yeah, and I'm happy I, I finally convinced William Condillon to join me on the podcast. He was very busy, but I think end of February, he will join me to explain more about Skia because I personally haven't used it a lot. I only watched his great videos and I was always puzzled by how, like, how do you come up with this stuff? It's, <laughs> it's like I need a degree yeah. in this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Like you need more imagination for that. And sometimes <laughs> that's hard to find. All right, so that's the graphics category. The next one is called debugging and profiling. So it's about what the debugging tools or what debugging tools are used and the problems people encounter. And surprise, surprise, everyone is using console logs to debug their applications. It's 75% followed by 50% who use Flipper. Uh, followed also by 50% Chrome DevTools. I think this should be like the Expo tools or? Those are the remote chess debugging that was just deprecated uh, uh, in the 73 React Native. So basically the old way, like when you had to wait like five, 10 seconds before your Chrome DevTools loaded and uh, now it's becoming replaced uh, by the new experimental debugger, which is available in React Native 073. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to see some movement here as Expo is doing a lot in terms of debugging. Um, they just released an API to make it easier to integrate. Uh, with, with, well, where, how can I say this correctly? With Flipper, like, can you can you put it in the right I context? I think it's called Dev Client plugins, is it? Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. You have to distinguish Expo Dev Client, Config plugins, and now you have Dev Client <laughs> plugins. Yeah, <laughs> lots of terminal, terminology, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a Reactortron at 50%. I think Reactortron was initially created by Infinite Red. Am I correct with that? That's correct, I would say, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it would actually be used by more people. Uh, so Flipper still seems to be pretty much the default beyond console logs. And um, yeah, but people still encounter the same problems that I encounter. I'm, I'm really happy. The biggest problem <laughs> is connecting to the debugger <laughs> or picking the right debugging tool uh, in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was always a problem. 
and well hopefully the the new react native debugger the experimental one together with the new debugger from expo which will hopefully somehow merge together or at least like work together uh so those will be the future hopefully this time finally <laughs> definitely um do we just want to continue with the next section because we're we're already 40 minutes into the podcast and we haven't reached our favorite spots yet <laughs> yeah let's go let's go Okay, so the next category is called React Native Features. This is um, the features that people are most interested in or most use. Um, I think it's interesting that, or it's it's quite a, a kind uh, obvious that people are interested in the new architecture and the bridgeless mode. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely as well, and also in Turbo Native modules. But that is also followed by custom native modules. So everything regarding native modules, Expo modules, certainly on the rise in terms of their usage. They climb from 30 to 43%. Um, and beyond that, yeah, it's it's just interesting to see all these uh, new features, the, um, the the stuff that's coming up in, in 2024. Yeah, so with 073, we have the new bridgeless mode, which we actually didn't know that we will have because everyone kind of thought that enabling new architecture will mean that there will be no bridge, but there was still bridge. So <laughs> 073, finally, we have the bridge. Uh, I haven't used the new architecture yet, um, but I'm looking forward to it to see if my <laughs> app feels a bit more snappy, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, Expo modules obviously making it easier to create basically native libraries that we can use uh, because you can use Swift and Kotlin. So that will be on the rise for sure. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it about this. Yeah, um, I'm I'm still a bit scared by the new architecture. I don't know if I talk with Evan about this. It just sounds so intimidating to me, like new architecture, and and they're doing this now that we get closer to a React Native one release. It just feels like, yeah. I hope they know what they're doing. I hope this is safe for for all the things because if this is breaking stuff in the React Native ecosystem, this might be like the Angular JS to Angular switch, and we all know that that was no success. I think that this was the sentiment, but then they introduced the interrupt player. So actually the, the older libraries on the old architecture will still be kind of compatible, at least to some extent. Therefore the transition is not going to be <laughs> that hard as we would imagine. So let's see how, how we get to use it because the expectations are there. So hopefully like people start to transition and we some we see some real benefits here. Was there also like static, static Airbus? Uh, oh, it's I... not there. <laughs> Why? Why it's is it something there? that was introduced at React Native EU, right? Mm -hmm. But yes. still probably very experimental mm. and people didn't get to use it, right? So while yeah, the other yeah. things, they, they are already yeah. usable. Like, like, like React Forget or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm looking forward to React Forget. Come me on, too, that's... me too. <laughs> Why is it not here yet? Like somewhere. It, hopefully, this is going to be a good year. Okay, next category is called Other App Aspects. And to be honest, yeah, it's again about the usage of different tools. People seem to use most Firebase Analytics and Sentry for crash reporting. Um, I think what I found most interesting here is actually at the bottom, there is local first app architecture. And the uh, survey gathered... Uh, would you use again? Would not use again? Interested, not interested, never heard. And 42% of the people said they have never heard about local first epic architecture. Meanwhile, oh Simon is working on a video about local first and why it's the biggest thing in 2024. Yeah. If you can do local first, then it's in mobile development. So I think everyone should at least know something about it. And know how to basically persist your cache maybe from React Query so that your application loads even if it's somewhere in airplane mode or there is no connection because it's not really hard. Obviously, it's harder if you like start expecting some mutations to work in your application and such and then synchronize once the person gets the on the connection. But overall, to at least offer some functionality offline, it's not that hard. Yeah, I actually have to object here a bit because I did a little bit of research lately on, on the topic. It, it actually, if you 
truly embrace the local first architecture, it kind of makes things actually a lot easier. You're not talking about cash invalidation and handling cash and outdated stuff anymore because you have a single point of truth, which is your local SQLite database. And yes, you have to implement that sync engine, which is a bit more complicated, but for the app itself, it makes things a bit easier as you just have this single place. This is like my data, I display it. Uh, and then you have the sync engine going on in the background. But yeah, it, it is just like interesting to me that I live in this bubble on Twitter where everyone's talking about TRPC and the latest Next.js and local first. And then you, you see a survey like this and almost 50% of the people say they have never heard about that topic. So yeah, that was shocking to me. Yeah, slightly. You jumped over the analytics and the crash reporting. I wanted to stop by here because me as a developer that like deploys the production ready applications, this is something I have to deal with at every project, basically. What analytics do I choose? So <laughs> Firebase analytics is a, such a great default and based on the respondents, like 78% use Firebase analytics. And I'm one of them. Uh, I have some experience with AppsFlyer, uh, but that's pretty much it, yeah. So Firebase analytics are definitely winning. And the crash reporting, uh, not surprisingly, we have two big winners, which is Sentry and Firebase Crashlytics. Because Firebase, when you implement it, you know, like it's so easy uh, to just add Crashlytics to that mm -hmm. uh, application as well. But to be honest, I prefer Sentry because um, the reporting just seems to me to, to be a bit better. And even Exponow, like they decided to cooperate with Sentry. There is no mm -hmm. Expo Sentry library anymore. You can just use directly uh, Sentry React Native library. Yes. Um, and it's such a good tool. Yeah. I think actually in the analytics category, I talked to a company before called Vexo Analytics. They are now also listed uh, on Expo. I don't know why they don't appear in here. Probably there was no uh, way to pick them. They're also kind of small, but maybe we're going to see more about them in the future. Okay. Um, next category, deployment. I think this is one you had some some thoughts about. So share, share your thoughts huh. about this important category. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like deployment, it's, let's go to the usage tab. So 67% is manually with Xcode, 62% is manually with Android Studio, and then we have 55% ES built from 41% last year. So definitely like the manual deployment is decreasing, but let's be honest, it's actually quite convenient. It works, you know? So with ES built, it's probably the best way how to deploy your application. Because if you combine it with ES submit, you just put like dash dash auto submit, it just works so seamlessly. <laughs> but let's be real, it takes, uh, well, it costs some money, you know, like it's not mm -hmm. free service. Uh, so if you are on the hobby tier, uh, you have 30 deployments per month for free, uh, which mm. means usually 15 per one platform. <laughs> So if you are deploying quite frequently or your builds are like uh, crashing for some reason, then you can get out of this quite easily. And then you have to go to the production plan, which is 99 bucks per month, which is a reasonable rate, but for some hobby developer, it might be a bit high already. Therefore, actually the manually with Xcode, manually with Android Studio, it still works. It's quite fast. Uh, and it's a good knowledge to have, I would say, because if you are at like the free tier and you run out of quota, you can do the EAS local build, or you can do just manually with Xcode and Android Studio. I actually found it quite quick to be uh, when you are building via Xcode and Android Studio rather than doing the EAS local flag. Yeah, I think I also come from a different background. So I'm almost used to using Xcode uh, with Capacitor and Cordova. You always went through Xcode because there was not really any tool to do this automatically. I mean, Ionic had at some point the service, and they do have still have that, but I usually also used Xcode. And yeah, I agree. It's, it's good to just understand what's actually going on because it's not that hard. Like you just have to click archive in Xcode yeah. and then there's a wizard with about like eight steps and you usually always use the default settings. You just continue pressing next, next, next. And then it uploads the app to uh, to iTunes Connect or App Store Connect, what it's called now. And yeah, it's almost, it's, it's almost the same for Android. Like you, you create a bundle, you select, okay, sign this bundle. Then they got like a UI for the key and it creates the, uh, what is it? AAB, I think. And then you can upload AAB. it. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and that's it. It's, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, people say they don't want to use it again. If you check the sentiment split, people mm. who use manually with Xcode or Android Studio say they don't want to use it again. But I would say for, for all my side projects and small apps, I will just stick to Android Studio and Xcode. I mean, the sentiment chart is clear, you know, like if you once used ES Build or ES Submit, <laughs> you just want to keep using it, you know, like, but obviously... It's a paid service, so you have to count on this as well. Even though I think there is a like, imagine I'm like there is an hourly rate that I charge the client, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one one build, uh, ES build, costs two dollars. So mm-hmm. let's say it takes twenty minutes, uh, two dollars, and let's say it just uh, slows me down for twenty minutes as a developer. Mm-hmm. The client will pay more for the hourly rate that I will slow down than the two dollars <laughs> that I would like pay for the EAS build. Yeah, but the problem is that to persuade client to pay hundred bucks per month is harder than actually persuade them that you needed these hours for development time. You know, therefore, like justifying a new service for clients is quite hard, but charging it within your development hour is actually easier to clients. So therefore, <laughs> that's why there is this economics uh, misshape, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a very interesting insight uh, from you. And yeah, I, I would also prefer to always have EAS, um, but sometimes I just, I'm just too lazy to set it up for myself. So for everyone, uh, it's definitely a recommendation, especially if you can get the clients to pay for the Usually you need a paid account, otherwise you will probably run out of free builds. Exactly. All right, next category is called React Native Tools. Um, This is about tools like, yeah, it's hard, like Config Plugin. I wouldn't call Config Plugin a tool, actually. Custom Development Client, (laughs) uh, the EAS CLI and the Expo CLI, okay, these are kind of tool. It's it's hard to make a lot of uh, sense of this. So yeah, people use the Expo CLI and Expo Go a lot. Um, but the interest in config plugins is definitely also very, very high. And I highly recommend config plugins as well as they're like helping you to use continuous native generation as Expo currently calls it. Yeah, I totally agree. It's the new way how to do stuff. It should help you with upgrading the application to new React Native versions. Uh, and yeah, we will see just rise of Expo config plugins for basically all the libraries that we probably use. And that need some kind of native setup, yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, I mean, people are kind of happy. It's interesting that uh, for React Native Community CLI, people kind of tend to would not use again. So what use again is slowly declining for the React Native Community CLI. But beyond that, there's nothing really surprising me in this category. Yeah, people are just getting like spoiled with Expo. Uh, (laughs) Even though the React Native CLI it's actually quite good, you know. Sometimes yes. it's really fast to just uh, jumpstart a project in React Native CLI. And actually, Shimon and guys from Colstack are probably still improving it because, as mm-hmm. they mentioned, there are many people that cannot use Expo, you know, like transition that easily uh, for like bigger applications. It's quite a huge, can be quite a huge refactor and dangerous slightly. Yes. Uh, so they still have to use React Native CLI. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry for not creating a lot of React Native CLI content, basically zero, but I had to make my choices. <laughs> I went with Expo. Let's go to the package managers. That was quite interesting topic for me uh, yeah. because many people are still on Yarn V1, which is 72.5%, while there is already Yarn V4, <laughs> but probably only 13.8 people are using actually the new Yarn. Because it kind of changed the ways how how they like do stuff, you know, uh, it's a bit faster. But if you want to transition to V4, you have to also transition probably all of your colleagues to V4 as well, basically for the whole project. So it's not that easy, and that's why many people stick still to the V1, which is quite stable and works great. NPM is 55%, which is also a good option. And then if you want to transition to something newish. So you have PNPM, which is used like 15.6 times uh, because, well, that's something that supposedly is faster. And now actually there was one barrier, with, which was Simlinks, and those are now uh, in Metro supported as stable, I would say, from 073 React Native. 
So many people can now transition to PNPM, but in the meantime, we got banned. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I actually saw Expo Livestream and Cedric was like live coding and actually using ban. So I think I will see many more people just maybe uh, not transitioning to PNPM, but just directed to ban. Yeah, I, I, where do I start? So first of all, I was crying a bit internally while you were talking about yarn. I was looking at that statistic because to be honest, I was always old fashioned. I always thought, let's just stick with NPM. All these other things, they are just trends. They will come and go, just stick with NPM, okay? So I, I honestly, I think I never used yarn. Um, I, I don't know how I managed to make that work, but somehow my, my system always worked. Um, <laughs> then I transitioned a bit to bun because it's a lot faster. And for me, I'm spinning up a lot of projects. It, it just worked really great. It was very, very fast. But over the last couple of weeks, I encountered a lot of problems and I didn't quite get why I got them. So there was mm. actually an open bug just weeks ago where Bun wouldn't install the peer dependencies of a package. And therefore, all my like all the packages I installed, it just did not work. And I had to manually install some peer dependencies. And I was like, what? This can't be true. Like we're like Bun is becoming so popular and, and like everyone, everyone's builds would break if this is uh, the truth. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Bun, and I think it will get more popular over the next time. Yeah, um, it's still evolving. Uh, yeah, so that's why I continue with npm. I think Yarn is better for Mono repositories, or was it pnpm? Uh, one of these was better yeah, than both. Are actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I. Uh, so you would recommend me to switch over to Yarn? No, I think I will just go for Bun. <laughs> yeah, no, just <laughs> go for Bun, I guess. <laughs> Okay, do we want to talk about the alternatives to React Native? Let's go. Uh, so what do we have here? Do yeah, you want to start? Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of want to make this short. This is a survey for React Native developers. And as such, I mean, there are tons of other packages, but the people of this survey are using React Native and they're not that interested in everything else beyond this. So I don't know what kind of information we can gather from this. I mean... People use Swift UI and they use like the native Jetpack Compose. They still use Cordova and Ionic and Flutter. All of these things are a bit declining also in terms of interest. Uh, I actually gave my own short comment. I didn't know that we should have uh, longer <laughs> comments on these categories. Uh, but anyway, I gave a short comment on this that I feel like the web frameworks are a bit declining. Um, yeah, I, I just think this is not giving out a lot of information as the survey was just for, for React Native developers. I think the only good information here, <laughs> I don't want to say the only because the survey <laughs> is great information source for us React Native developers. But at this particular part, the sentiment split, if you look at it, uh, basically would use again is probably major only for Swift UI. So mm -hmm. some iOS engineers that also are React Native engineers that tried Swift UI, they they kind of liked it. Uh, well, if someone tried Flutter, <laughs> there is like quite a lot of that didn't like it. The same with Ionic, Xamarin, Cordova. Uh, so SwiftUI may be interesting to give it a test. I, just I mean, if, if you if you if you tried Flutter and now you arrived at a state of React Native survey, it kind of means there was something about Flutter you disliked, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Let's let's heed over to the last categories. We can probably make this faster and, uh, until we get to the opinions and conclusions. So there's another uh, section about resources and how people learn. Uh, well, most people use the official docs. There are some great blogs. I just want to mention this week in React by Sebastian. That is a great, great newsletter that I read every week. And um, beyond that, I'm really happy that I'm I'm somewhere mentioned as well. Like Rocket Ship is already in the third place for podcasts beyond React Native Radio and the React Native Show. And I'm also in the third place of video creators after William Cadillan and Theo. But there are many Make more creators like Katalin and Vadim and... Um, uh, yeah, but you have been consistent creating lots of content and the podcast, you're interviewing the best people basically from the industry <laughs> or not only the best, but basically everyone who has something to say, which is super nice uh, and people appreciate it. So I definitely appreciate to have three React Native podcasts that I listen to like regularly. Me too. I, I do listen to the others as well and um, I have high respect for Jamin and what he's doing at Infinite Red. So 
yeah, there are a lot of great resources, a lot of free resources out there that you can select from. Now, do we want to talk about opinions and where React Native is going? <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite interesting. And I like actually that they put like this 2022 and 2023 uh, kind of line so that you can see where the trend is going. So the first one is React Native is moving in the right direction. And then we have options if we agree strongly, agree, neutral, disagree, mm -hmm. or disagree strongly. <laughs> so if I combine it, like agree and agree strongly, uh, we have actually 85%. Do I calculate it correctly? Yeah, 85%. That's pretty yes. cool. And yeah. then you this, compare this, it to... this, this, this has also almost become the thumbnail for my video. Uh, like React Native is moving in the right direction. Agree strongly. <laughs> because yeah, agree yeah, strongly yeah. is actually on the climb here. And actually it increased from the last year. So m more people are actually uh, happy about the direction of React Native. Yes. Um, then we got building React Native apps is overly complex right now. I don't see a big shift here. My only thought on this is that building React Native apps is as complex as building web apps. Like, it's not easy to build an XJS app. There is also a lot included you need to learn. And the same is, in my eyes, true for React Native. Yeah, and it shouldn't be easy, to be honest. You know, like, you as a developer have to go through some struggles to actually appreciate, you know, like, the good parts about React Native. It's not a perfect tool, but which is, you know, like, there is no perfect tools. But we as a community like really appreciate React Native because it's just getting better and it's just capable enough to make great applications and it's quite easy compared to the other tools. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it would, would be an easy tool, it would be called Microsoft Dreamweaver probably. Because exactly. Because then we would have a drag like and drop editor and get out React Native code. But um, beyond that, we had React Native ecosystem is changing too fast. Um, people mostly disagree with that. That's interesting because React Native is actually changing quite fast, I think. Uh, but it still feels okay to people. Because it doesn't push you to do things differently yet, you know, I would say. So even though we have the new architecture, it doesn't really like make it for you to have to, you know, like use it. Mm. Like with React Server components, you kind of feel a bit pressure, I would say, in the Next.js <laughs> environment to start using the app router, even though you still can use the pages, right? But in React Native, even though it's evolving, nobody is forcing you yet to use all the new features. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's probably the reason for that. And then we have React Native pain points. Uh, at the top of that list is still debugging. In the second place, unmaintained packages. Then we got dealing with native code and upgrades. And I found it interesting that out of these four biggest categories of pain points, Expo is kind of targeting almost all of them. They're improving debugging. Um, they are dealing with native code with custom modules. They make upgrades easier. In terms of unmaintained packages, they're probably like not doing that much, but I don't think they can do a lot about that. Makes sense. Look at the weakest spots and make business out of it. You know, that works. Uh, and the fifth one is keyboard handling. Are we going to get Expo keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in my video, I also said, like, if you look at these pain points, this is a great place to start if you, if you want to start any business. Just look at these pain points and see if you can maybe make end-to-end -end testing better or... Um, performance or whatever. Um, so that would be at least some options for people to innovate in the React Native ecosystem. Yeah, let's go to the missing features because that one is interesting. <laughs> so the first one is better debugging. Well, we are trying to deal with that. But the second one is Android <laughs> Shadows. Come on, yes. From my first project, I miss Android Shadows, man. I don't want to use a library to make a shadow, you know, like you can do it so easily on iOS, but then the designer, you know, then they expect kind of like universal design and elevation property. It can work, but it will not make it that beautiful, like just some shadows on iOS. Yeah, yeah. these these things kind of bring me back down to the ground. So I always think, oh, React Native is really impressive. Like you can build such great applications, so native apps, and then... When I started with React Native at that time, I think FlexGap was introduced and, and I mm -hmm. just used it. And then I learned that there was no FlexGap <laughs> before. And I was like, what? You didn't have FlexGap before? <laughs> like, why? And so, yeah, Android Shadows pretty much falls into the same category. 
Oh man! Once we have Android Shadows, that will be a great day. Yeah, that, that that's the release of React Native 1.0. Um, the React Native advantages, yeah, cross-platform, hot reloading. I don't, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cross-platform. It's it's great. Anything special that stands out to you? Yeah, community, the third one. Like definitely, <laughs> the community is probably the the best community in the development world I know. Like everyone is so dealing with the same issues, you know, over and over. So they, they can actually help you out quite easily. And it's just nice that everyone is moving to the one direction, appreciating any evolution and helping each other out. Yes. Well, well said. I love the community as well. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be part and happy to be kind of accepted after a, a short transition into <laughs> it and now talk to so many great people from the community. It's really um, I haven't experienced that before, which brings us already to the end. Uh, we're already off uh, more than an hour. Oh, to the conclusion. So I just want to read a part of this conclusion from Kashpa. Uh, last year was a good year for React Native. I completely agree with that observation. Uh, with rising stars in the styling space, innovations in navigations and improvements in debugging, it's hard not to say that we're living in the best years of React Native so far. And I would completely agree, we're definitely living in those years. Um, then he also said something interesting about the uh, state of React Native. So I'd like to define the current state of React Native as stable, but definitely not boring. <laughs> um, I don't know what he wanted to hide behind these words, but it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's, yeah, it's a stable, but there's still a lot going on. I mean, we're not at React Native 1. The new architecture is around. Expo is working on a completely revamped universal routing. Uh, the the styling category is still like upside down and we're not sure where this is going. Expo is improving debugging and trying to make the DX uh, easier. And uh, we're probably going to see React server components working with React Native. So I, I think it's exciting uh, and it's a lot going on. So so what is your your conclusion about the current state of React Native? I really like the conclusion, like it's stable, but not boring because <laughs> that reflects the community, you know, at least like on Twitter, like many people just, you know, like they want to consume the news about React Native, basically what's going to be the next thing I can put in my project because yes, it's stable. Like I can build applications like every year, basically the same way, but I don't want to, you know, I want to evolve the applications and provide the best user experience. And thanks to the new architecture, React Server Components, Expo, we are just moving to the direction that it will be just easier and better, yeah. I mean, I don't know in how far React Server Components and the integration will make it easier, but uh, <laughs> we, we will see how it finally plays out. And I think it's just great that so many big companies are invested, like uh, Meta and Microsoft, they are doing a lot for React Native, not to mention all the other like Callstack and Software Mention and uh, everyone else in, in this category. So I'm excited to see what's what's happening in, in 2024. This state of React Native 2023 definitely is a great uh, picture into what's going on. And I highly recommend for everyone now interested to Check out the full survey. You can find it at uh, results.stateofreactnative.com. Um, and with that, anything else you want to say and conclude about the state of React Native, Aaron? I would say that's it. Uh, I think that everyone knows what is the state of React Native. We know why we love this technology. And it's good that many people are on the same page, at least as I am. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And I mean, we have some like some uh, challenges in all of the categories and we have different libraries here and there what people can select from as i said i don't like to have too many choices but it's still good to see that everyone is pushing each other uh, and so the whole ecosystem gets better over time exactly you need competition like it's kind of scary expo doesn't have competition <laughs> but uh, let's trust these guys yeah, let's trust them. All right, that's it for today. Uh, just to wrap it up, uh, Aaron, where can people find out more if they're interested in what you're doing? Yeah, definitely on X or Twitter, Aaron Bereskin or AaronBereskin.com, which is my personal site. 
Awesome. We'll put these links in the show notes and subscribe to this podcast or on YouTube if you haven't done so far because there's an episode coming out every week and hopefully we're going to see Aaron again when we have uh, more big news. So thank you again, Aaron, for taking the time and hope to catch you again soon. Definitely. Thank you for inviting me. Bye. Bye-bye.